I was thinking while Brother Richard was telling us about their experience there when they were having the heart cath, but about the part of the nurse sitting down with them and praying with them and how they had cake afterwards. The main course of the meal was prayer, no doubt. But that cake was an added blessing, kind of like dessert, I guess. But I thought about on one occasion when I had to go up to a cancer treatment center and have some tests, and they were going to be very unpleasant. I never looked forward to those tests, but things that just had to be done. But I remember just before one of those tests, a young lady came in, and she was talking to me, and she said, uh, would it be all right with you if I pray with you? I said, that'd be wonderful. I said, why don't you do that? And so she held my hands and she began to pray. And it was, it was calming and it was soothing and it was a real blessing. And I, I enjoyed her praying for me. But Brother Richard, she didn't give me no cake. So I was a little bit offended <laughs> when I heard that y'all got cake and I didn't. But I'm very grateful. I, I tell you, we've got some good people in medical. And uh, they really they understand that they're not working on cars. And they're not building houses. They're trying to help living beings. And so you can tell the compassion and all from them. I'm grateful for doctors and nurses that know the Lord. And uh, one of my first encounters with such a man, I didn't know him personally, but the first books that I bought, as far back as I can remember, were books written by Dr. M. R. DeHaan. And he was a medical physician and uh Matter of fact, he gave up that for the ministry that God called him into. And he wrote a number of books, and I cut my teeth on the doctrine that that man taught. And it was excellent. I'm very grateful for what God done, done for me with that. I had a little surgery last week. I'll tell this and get to the Word. But I had a little surgery last week on, on my back. And... uh there's outpatient stuff. Uh, but that doctor, he took a chunk out of my back. And uh, it's healing up now. i got four or five stitches in it. I'll build it up as much as I can because I need all the petting I can get. But uh, I got home and I told my wife, I said, I'm going to tell you some things he told me to do and not to do. And I said, now, Susie, I said, I want you to understand about this surgery. I said, you know, it was, we know of, of three generations of this particular family, and each one of them were doctors. And the first one was Dr. Cecil Major. Some of you know Dr. Major, who was in LaGrange years ago, and he's uh, passed away since. But he was our doctor. He, I got a place across my head where he sold them up when I was a teenage boy. 
And then when I had my gallbladder taken out, his son uh, took out my gallbladder. And then the other day, this work on my back, John Major, he took he took that uh, knot off my back. And so I told Susie, I said, now this qualifies then to be major surgery. <laughs> I said, so don't you forget that. I said, you've got to take good care of me. It's a major surgery. <laughs> All right, let's turn our Bibles into Exodus chapter 21, 22, and 23. I'm going to do things a little bit different from what we've been doing up to this point because I think this particular section calls for it. And so I'm going to treat each section of the Scriptures as I, as it seems that the Lord may be giving it to me and open it up to me. And I'll try to use that particular method in sharing these truths with you. We are, of course, looking at uh, this particular part. Uh, Well, let me say this first. Chapter 21, chapter 22, and at least the first 13 verses of chapter 23 all seem to fit together, dealing with some of the details of the law that God had given to the Hebrew people. And we understand as we look at these laws that our God is a God of specifics. I mean, for example, when He gave the Ten Commandments in the early verses, the first uh, 17 verses of chapter 20, he, uh, He called sin by name. He didn't just get up and generalize. But rather, He was specific. He named sin. And we looked at that. I've mentioned that to you. But it's something that we preachers today need to learn. I remember Brother uh, brother Frank McGuire said years ago, he said, Our people repent of the sins that are named in the pulpit. And I believe that to be true. I don't think we ought to just get up and preach against sin in a general sense. But we need to be specifics because some people think, that what they're doing is really not so bad. They might measure it with a Charles Maxson or a Jack the Ripper or somebody like that and say, at least I'm not a Bloody Mary or one of these others that are infamously known throughout history. And uh, But sin in the eyes of God, all sin is evil. All sin is repulsive in the sight of God. You and I have a terrible tendency of trying to color sin. And some of them's kind of white, others are a whole lot darker, and then there's those in the middle that are just kind of grayish area. And so they talk about, well, you know, I told a lie, but it was a white lie. There's no such thing as a white lie. All lies are lies. And God is a God of truth. And this book that He gave us don't have any lies in it. It don't have any shading in it. No fine print in it. It is all above board. It's all out in the open. God just, he's, he's just straightforward. He's straightforward in what he says. Now sometimes because of the 
particular thing that he may be dealing with, the subject in the Scriptures, we may not get it all just by sight, and we have to dig into it. We have to get into the Word of God and, 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 and salt it much with prayer in order to get the proper flavor, to get where God is coming from. There are things that's hard for us to understand because it's on a much higher level than us. And there may be other brothers and sisters in Christ who can see it a little clearer than we can. But it's because they've been brought a further distance, perhaps, in their studies and the like. But when it comes to the truth of God, we God can God Himself reveals truth to us in such a way that it begins to matter to us. In such a way that it becomes important to us. In such a way that we want to know more about it. When the Spirit of God is at work, He wants us to see what He is saying directly to us. And what He says to me may not mean much to other people at the time. But this is where I am. And this is what I need to hear from God. And so God can make Himself crystal clear. And I don't know of anything clearer than thou shalt not covet. I don't know of anything clearer than thou shalt have no other God before me. I don't know of anything clearer in that second commandment don't carve out images and bow down to worship them. Don't make images, whether you're carving it out or painting it, of the Lord our God. I don't like pictures of Jesus. I just, it's not Him. I mean, what Polaroid did they use to take that picture with? No, that come out of the mind of some guy. And a lot of those guys that painted those pictures were not up there when it comes to spiritual life and knowing, truly knowing God and the like. And so a lot of this comes from the figment of men's imaginations. And we are warned early in the Scriptures about our imaginations. In Genesis chapter 6, he said, The wickedness of man was evil. All of their imaginations and thoughts of their heart were evil continually. And so we have to be very careful about such as that. But when we read in this Bible, and when God says, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, honor thy father and thy mother, everything that is written in those Ten Commandments are crystal clear. And so, and then as he begins... In chapter twenty and chapter twenty-one and further, he begins to mention some of these things that is that is in the Ten Commandments and goes into some detail. When you get over to Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, the Lord Jesus Christ takes a text on it and he preaches and he reveals the truths. He said, "Now you've heard it. You've heard it said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. You've heard it said." Thou shalt not kill. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and so on. But he said, but I say unto you. He said, let me tell you what this means. He said, because the rabbis who don't really know God, the Jewish leadership, have told you things that are not accurate. Because all of their material has been added to. They have brought in other commandments and they've told you that this means other things. But he said, I want to tell you the facts of it. 
And so we look for somebody who has been sent from God. And Jesus had been sent from God. And he had come to tell the people what the truth is. He told Pilate, he said, I've come to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate sarcastically says, what is truth? And turns around and walks out. But dear friend, the Lord Jesus said, I am the truth and I preach the truth. And I dare anybody, he said, I dare anybody to try to take anything I've said and disprove it. He said, you cannot disprove it. The common people heard him preach. They heard what he was preaching to, to the crowds. And a lot of them were able to tune in better than, than the Pharisees and the scribes and the like. The Sadducees and the whole uh, religious leadership of the day. He, when Jesus preached, he made that crowd very uncomfortable. But as far as the lost people, the common people, it made them want to come back and hear some more. It made them to want, to want to dig deeper into this. Evidently, the rich young ruler had heard the Lord talk about, uh, about eternal life. He's heard, he had heard some things that Jesus had been saying, or either he heard somebody else tell the story that the Lord Jesus had told. And so he comes to the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 18. And he says to the Lord Jesus, Sir, or Rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, I want to know more about that. Now, what did he do? He refused it and turned around and walked away because Jesus went into detail with this man. He understood where this man was with God and what this man believed. He just looked at his riches and said, Boy, what a blessed man I am. God has surely been good to me. But what may be a blessing to some people is a curse to other folks. And there are some people who cannot handle having riches because they become so covetous that a million dollars is not enough. I've got to have a million and one, or a million and two, or two million, or three million. The eyes of man are never satisfied. They're never satisfied, the Scriptures teach. And so what they have is not enough. Well, this man said, I want to know what it takes to have eternal life. And when Jesus began to name those things, and he called out some things concerning the commandments, you've, you know the commandments, you've heard the commandments, he said to him, and he knew that's what this man's relying on. But when the Lord Jesus Christ hit that sore spot, and I want to tell you, anybody who loves God's people is going to aim for the sore spot. We may fish around for a while and finally find out where the groove is and understand that the Spirit of God has led us to that comfortable place for us to preach. And this is where we began to get the, the, the good message from the Lord because now it has hit its mark. It may be one person in the meeting. It may be several persons. It may be everybody in the meeting. But once that sore spot begins to make the people perhaps uncomfortable, or even maybe begins to help the healing process, 
and begins to make them understand, hey, this is for me. This is what I need to hear. And they listen and give themselves to it. This is the way Jesus preached. This is the way we are to preach. Somebody said, why don't you preach like Jesus? I want to. I really want to. I'd love to, but I've never had the power that he had, not the measure of it that he had. But it is from the same power source that I get my help. And i got to have it. And all of us preachers have to have it. So when we come here, let's listen carefully. But God will speak to you. And it's not an accident. And it's not because somebody's been gossiping that sometimes our secrets are revealed as the message is being preached. It is God addressing the issues in our hearts and in our lives. And there is not and never has been a single soul on this earth planet who has kept those Ten Commandments. And I'll tell you, we still battle with the flesh concerning those commandments. And if you break one, you've broken them all. And if you try to, try to put, uh, put them in, in, a, in a particular order, uh, and say, well, at least number nine is not as bad as number two. Or at least number ten is not as bad as number one. But then when you read on in the Scriptures, you read somebody like the Apostle Paul that names number one and number ten and puts them together. He says, covetousness, number ten, is idolatry, number one and number two. He said it's idolatry. And it's worshiping. It's putting something else that means more to you between you and God. And instead of seeking after God, you're seeking after materialism. You're seeking after money. You're seeking after mammon. And, and, and so these things become a barricade between us and God. This ongoing sin that we hadn't dealt with, and it's been with us for so long. We call it the darling lust. The darling lust. That having that sweetheart affair with that particular sin. That's the right arm. That's the reason he said you got to cut off your right arm, your favored arm. Pluck out your right eye, your favored eye. Cut off your right foot, your favored foot. Sometimes he said, cut off your arm, your, 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 uh, your hand, cut off your hand and you pluck out your eye and pluck and cut off your foot. But then when he get to that right arm, right eye, right foot, let's understand the metaphor of it. He is speaking here of that which means the most to you. He said, you even got to repent. You got to give that up. That darling lust that you, that you keep with you. And every once in a while, it kind of bothers you to say, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do that no more. I'm going to quit. I quit. But then it's not long you're back at it again. And when you cut something off, you're experiencing something that is painful. It's painful to cut it off. It's kind of like a young girl and a young boy and 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 uh, one of them is a it may be a believer and the other is not, and they've come together. And uh, Corton, you should never date anybody that you wouldn't be willing to marry. Let me just throw that out, just of a side issue. 
You should never go out with anybody you're not willing to marry. I tell girls when I counsel with them, don't you ever look at a man and desire a man that you could not trust him enough to fully submit to him. Because I still put that in the, in the uh, marriage ceremony. Submitting to your husband. Obey your husband. I know, boy, I, this generation hates that with passion. I understand that. But I'll tell you, that's still the way it's supposed to be. And I do believe that there is a higher authority. Don't get me wrong. I believe that our first submission is to God Himself. We are to seek first His kingdom. The one He rules. He rules over us. But God has made that wife or that husband the head in that home. And so it's, uh, it's, it's biblical and it is right. Now, well, I, let me get off of that. Let me move on. God wants us to know His will. And that's why we've got the Bible. To know the will of God. I believe that among a few other things that the Ten Commandments, the law that God gave to the Hebrew people, and the grace of God are both under satanic attack. I believe that they are both despised by lost religious people. People don't like to be told what they can do and what they can't do. That's just a, that's a natural issue that we have. We just don't like for anybody to tell us we can't have that or we can't do that. And I had somebody recently to get so mad with me because I told them what God says about this, that, and the other. And I told them where the blame that they had got themselves in a mess really lay was with them, that person in particular. And they didn't like it. But I didn't tell it to them for them to like it. I told it to them because it's the truth. This is why Jesus preached what He did. Truth. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. And if you don't get truth, there's not another key that will unlock the prison door to let you out but the truth itself. And so, we must be willing when we come here. We must be willing to hear truth. And we must check our hearts, check our motives, our behaviors, Everything about us. Check the office that God has put us in. Whether it be pastor, husband, wife. Whether it be children, whoever. We ought to check ourselves to find out if we are in violation of the truth. And so I want to say all of that just to say this. The preacher is not the only one who is to prepare for the meeting. I'm not, it's not just me in my studies, and it's not just me on my knees preparing to bring a message from God to you. 
It's not me just blindly picking something out or something that I enjoy preaching necessarily. But rather it has got to be something from God and that takes a long time to get it ready. And it ought to take you a long time to get ready for it. I'm talking about being prayerful and spending more time filling your mind with the Word of God and with thoughts of God, musing or, 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 or fixing your gaze upon truth and just thinking about it, giving yourself to it and getting ready for it. Because there are a lot of things that church people do before they come to church that makes their mind cloudy and fuzzy and blocks the door for truth of truth trying to, to get into us. And so these things are extremely important as we hear the Word of God. I just think this needs to be said when we're talking about these commandments and the preaching of our Lord and how that it is all a part of our continuing of the education, that the spiritual education that God is, is uh, determining for us that we may know these things. I called this 21st chapter and uh, a particular name in jurisprudence, which is the study of the law, the study of the sciences of the law and the knowledge of the law. And I'm not a lawyer and I have not had any courses in law, criminal law, but I understand that the study of criminal law, this is called in our law system today, Harvard and other places where they do study the law. It's called the Latin term lex telionis. And I call it this because of verses 23 through 25 in Exodus 21. If any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Now most everybody in the world has heard the term, they cut it short, to eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. They may not mention the others, but people know of that. Well, that's called lex telionis in the, in the Latin. And what it means is simply that the punishment must fit the crime. It must be equal to the crime. And that's what we see, for example... And this is the one that really stands out in verses 23, 24, and 25. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. When we think about God and the judgment of God, let's always remember that God is always, He, does, he handles it right. God handles it right. Now, a lot of our laws today, that's not the case. A lot of the courtroom scenes... Uh, Unfortunately, you don't get justice there. Maybe somebody's paid off. A judge, lawyers, 
a jury uh, person. Maybe paid off. Somebody got to them. Maybe threatened. And so, out of fear of retaliation, fear for their family, so on, they're willing to make a wrong call. But I want to say to you, what God has taught us, there's a lot of that, by the way, going on in pulpits today as well. I think there are men in pulpits who have been bought off. They're watching which way the money wagon's going. And they know who not to offend in the congregation, the people who handles money and the like. And so they're very, they're very careful. They're bought off. The only thing God tells me to buy as a Christian and a man of God, He said, buy the truth and sell it not. That's what I'm to buy. I'm to put everything on the line. Reputation, the way people feel about me and think about me, I am to put everything on the line. Climbing the social ladder, being recognized in the media or in Washington or whatever, I am to put it all on the line and sell all that out and buy the truth and sell it not. The big question today is, whose side are you on? Whose side are you really on? Are you standing with God for the truth? Even to your own humiliation and embarrassment because the truth reveals you just like it does the other sinner? Reveals me just like it does the other sinner? Where do we really stand when it comes right down to the rubber hitting the road? What do we really truly believe? Because when it's put to the test, what we really believe is going to come out. That's why a lot of people say goodbye and they move on because now they're having to face the truth about their self. And nobody goes to heaven who refuses to face the truth about their self and to receive the knowledge of the truth. One of the big problems uh, Brother Brian points out to us in Romans chapter 1 is men's refusal to bow to truth. They will not, uh, they will not bow to the knowledge of the truth, but they suppress it. They push it down. They won't have it because the truth is revealing. And what it's revealing about them, they have been trying to keep hid. They don't want anybody else to know. And so what is revealing to, to about them, they press it down. They refuse the truth. Because these kind of people are worshiping, serving the creature more than the Creator. The Creator who Himself is truth. This is who God is. And so that's again why we call chapter 20, this is who I am. This is me. This is my nature. This is what comes out of me. All of this, thou shalt and thou shalt not, this is coming from me, from my nature. This is the God that you are to serve. And I want you to be like me. 
I, I am holy. And that's what all of this is telling us. It speaks of the holiness of God. The most beautiful essence in all being is the holiness of God. And friends, God is calling upon the Hebrew people, ancient Israel. He's calling on the church today to be holy. He said, for I am holy. This is a God that... See, the first thing we've got to understand is, when we come into this world... One, there are two things that is absolutely certain about every individual. When I go to the hospital, if I look through the glass and I see the little babies laying there who have just been born, I look at each one of those babies, I can't say, now that young man right there or that young lady right there is going to be a doctor when they grow up. I can't say that one there is going to be a judge or a lawyer or a school teacher. And that, that one's going to marry into a fine family and they're going to be they're they're going to be a fine family. I can't say that about any one of them because I don't know that. But I tell you what I can say about them. That one right there is a sinner. And that one right there is a sinner. And that one over there is a sinner. Every one of those babies are born in sin. They're born in sin. Yes, they're cute, but they're sinners. And what is it that sinners need? They need God. They need the Lord. But I'm going to tell you something else about those babies. They are religious. They're born with a religion. It's, it's just They are just inclined in that way. Now, religion, per se, is often comes out or is manifested in either true religion or in nothing more than superstition. And it's not real. It's, it's similar to, I can't walk under that ladder because that's bad luck. I carry a rabbit's foot around in my pocket for luck and all this kind of stuff. A lot of people are religious in that way. And I've seen church people just as religious. And that's really sad because that's a binding chain that God don't want on any of His people to be that way. But they're religious. But the problem is they don't know who the real God is. They don't understand. Those babies don't understand who the real God is. And a lot of them grow up and still don't understand who the real God is. In order to know the real God, He must introduce Himself to you. He must introduce Himself, and He uses the Word of God to do that. And He uses preaching to do that. It pleased the Lord through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So God uses preaching. He uses teaching. He uses reading. You can read the Bible. You read maybe gospel tracts or booklets and the like. But all of this is geared to reach out to introduce to you who the true God is. And when you're interested in what you're hearing, you're interested in what you're reading, you're interested in all of this, then God, when you walk in the light God gives you, God is pleased to give you a little more light. And you walk in that, He'll give you a little more light. 
And again, the old Puritans used to say, God gives rain in abundance, and God gives sunshine in abundance, but He gives light sparingly. He don't, he don't give light in abundance. He gives a little at a time. And as long as you're willing to continue to walk toward, see, walking in the light is you're walking toward God. You're interested in truth. And that's, that's something that God Himself is causing you to do. You're interested in it. That's a good mark right there because if God is setting out to bring it to Himself, He will complete what He starts to do. But as you move in this direction and He continues to give you light, continues to give you light, you continue to bow to it. You continue to amen it, to say, yes, Lord, this is right. And you continue to move in this way. What is God doing? He's going to bring you to Himself, introduce Himself to you, reveal Himself to you, regenerate you, however you want to say it. God is doing this work. And when He says, I am He. You won't ever be the same again. That's what He told that woman at the well. She said, I, we've heard that the Messiah is coming. We've heard that He's coming. Jesus said to her, the ones that's speaking to you, said, that's me. I am He. I am the Messiah. The Samaritans looked for a Messiah too. The Jews looked for a Messiah. They didn't know they'd find it in that one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He would be the Messiah. He would be the Savior of the Jew and the Gentile. And the have Jew, have Gentile, the Samaritan. Because there's one Savior. And He's Christ the Lord. And if you've seen Him, you've seen God. And friend, you see Him with an eye of faith. And God convinces you of Him, who He is. He causes you to understand that He is God. God is the one who's speaking to you. God is the one who's bringing you along. It's a matter now of surrender on your part. Yielding yourself wholly and completely to Him and His will for your life. You can't go to heaven until that happens. See, that's... This is one reason religion itself is so dangerous today. Because there are many religions that lead people in the wrong direction. And I'm afraid some of, them is, some of that's being preached in Baptist churches and Methodist churches and Presbyterian churches and other churches. Because people don't want the truth. They don't want the truth. I've had people tell me that they were Baptist, I said, and I've told them, yeah, I know some of them in jail today. That won't get you into heaven, being a Baptist. But I do believe that historical Baptist, not all of them, but the historical Baptist, many of them know the truth and preach the truth. A lot of people say they are something, but they're not that. Punishment must fit the crime. I mentioned to you there are two principles that govern the severity of the punishment that the criminal must suffer. The first is called a misdemeanor, which is a minor crime, less serious 
punishable by a fine or a light jail term. We see these kinds of crimes and God's answer to them in these three portions of Scripture. The second is called by our law a felony, an offense such as murder, grand theft, kidnapping, rape, and the like, which are of graver character than those called misdemeanors, especially those commonly punished in the United States by imprisonment for more than a year. Early English law refers to any crime punishable by death or mutilation and forfeiture of lands and goods. An old French term is where they get the word villainy, which refers to the villain or to the felon, uh, felony. As you look at these laws, as we read them and look at them, we won't have time to deal with all of it, but and as a matter of fact, I don't intend to deal with all of it. But we learn an important double lesson, and I want you to please hear this. An important double lesson. First of all, we need to look at them on God's part. We need to see them. This is what comes from God's nature. And this is why the Hebrew people are called on to do and not to do. And uh, we find God enacting laws which exhibit strict, even-handed, perfect justice. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and so on. This was the character of the laws, the statutes, and the judgments by which God governed His earthly kingdom of Israel. Everything was provided for them. Every interest was maintained. Every claim was met. Nothing was swept under the rug. Everything was above board. Again, God didn't write anything in fine print. He, he put it out big enough for everybody to read and to see. You know why they put those things in fine print, don't you? Because they don't want you to know. They don't want you to read it. They don't want you to be able to see it, elderly folks. Even with my glasses on, I can't see it. Some of that fine print. The legal terms and such as that. There's so much that's put in fine print. But God don't put anything in fine print. He puts it in bold letters. He may hide some things from people, but He has reasons for that as well. But in this... There, there will be, in what God has given here, there will be no partiality, no distinction made between the rich and the poor. The balance in which each man's claim would be weighed and adjusted with divine accuracy so that no one could justly complain of the decision that is made by the earthly judge. Lady Justice today is... is perched on a pedestal in front of some of the courthouses and she has the blindfold on, you know. And she has the scales in her hand, the scales of justice. And what she is, what she is promising is that when you come to this court, that 
It don't matter what your name is, whether it be a Rockefeller or a Lazarus. It doesn't make any difference what your name is. It doesn't matter how much money you have, your political position. That court is promising justice. Justice. Blind justice, they call it. With that blindfold on. And the, the evidence will be weighed either for you or against you. If it's for you, you'll be acquitted. If it's against you, then you'll be convicted and you'll serve the time. But now, every one of us knows that that's not the way it's done in many places in our day. And it's been that way, not just this generation, but the previous generations as well. But I want to say this to you. When it comes to the court of, of the Godhead, when it comes to coming before the great judge of all the earth, we know, and Abraham knew, that the God of all the earth, the judge of all the earth, will do right. Nothing is hid under the bed, and no matter what your name is, no matter who you're kin to, when you stand before God, you can believe it or not, but I'm satisfied this book will be opened. There are a series of books that will be opened according to Revelation 20. And I believe this is one of them that will be opened because this is where we're going to find our violations. And we're going to have to give account to God. He even tells us even something like every idle uh, word that we speak is going to be brought into judgment. Every idle word, every lie that we tell. I don't know. I'm somewhat speculating. But I've, I, I, I believe I've heard good scholarly men who have said this, and I believe they may be correct about it. I know one thing, it causes me to be grieved about myself and things that I have said and things that I've done and things and thoughts that I have entertained. You can't help it if a thought comes, but you shove it out as quickly as possible and don't let it build there. And like the old saying, you can't help it if a bird lights on your head, but you can help it if he's building a nest up there. And so we, we shove these things away. But I, 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 I'm not so sure that because now we are saved that the things that we have to, that we fail on, we have the wrong motivation in what we do. Maybe trying to do right, but the wrong motivation. Some of our testimonies may be nothing more than saying, hey, look at me. Some of our shoutings in the meetings. Some of our singing our songs. See, all of that matters to God. It matters to one who is holy, purely, entirely perfect. It matters to Him. Christ died for all my sins. I understand that. 
You believe, preacher, that when Christ died, He just died for those sins in the past? He died for the sins in the past, Romans 3. He died for the sins in the future, all sins. And for myself, mine were all in the future. He died for all of them. He paid the price. But now He has said to me, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Obey me. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. Obedience is greater than any religious form or thing that you can go through, even to the place of sacrificing, giving up, denying yourself, and doing something for somebody else's good. Obedience is what God looks at. This means very much to God. I want you to do these things, he says. If you do them, the blessings of God will be upon you. If you don't do them, then you're going to experience the curse. And you're going to pay the price. Will those things that we've been forgiven of in the past, will they be brought up? What about since I've been saved? Will all of those be brought up, even those that I repented of? I don't know. I'm not sure about it. But I do know that in my dying hour that I'm such a sinner that there could be sinful things taking place in my own life. You say, Brother Tommy, you're being too sensitive. No, our problem today is that we are too hard. We're too hardened. We're not sensitive enough. We must care greatly about what God cares about. And I am not going to be one of those preachers that gets up and tells you, well, you got to sin a little bit every day because God understands that. No, what kind of preaching did Jesus do? He said, go and sin no more. I'm not going to make any excuses for our flesh. I'm not, I don't make any excuses for mine, and I'm not going to make any excuses for yours. The old nature that we have to deal with. I'm just telling you, we're soldiers, and we've got to do battle. And our first war is with the enemy within. We are to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. And we're nourished as we do that. And when it comes to spiritual matters, Jesus said the flesh is weak. Why don't you boys pray? I, he said, I brought you over here to pray. I separated you from the others to come out here with me and pray. Now I'm going a little further and I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to come back and check on you. And he went a little further and he prayed and he agonized. He knew what he was facing, what he was up against. And he knew the necessity of it. The requirements that he must himself meet in order for his people to be saved. And so he went through it out there in great agony. Till his sweat became as great drops of blood. He gets up and comes back, his clothes soaked in sweat, no doubt. His eyes puffy and red and flushed with tears. And there's the three that he brought out there with him laying there asleep. Jesus wakes them up. Hey, was that a sin? 
Well, if He told them what He wanted them to do and they're not doing it, but they're doing something else, if that's giving in to the flesh instead of the Spirit, Jesus said, I know why you're doing it, because the flesh is weak. But He said, can't you pray with me for a little while? Listen to the Lord. Can't you pray with me for a little while? He's getting on to them. He's rebuking them. Sometimes I, I tend to get that way myself. And I'd rather sleep than to pray. I'd rather get my mind off of some things that's troubling me that really I need to fix my gaze on and not go about handling it right. There's a lot of things we could talk about. But I'm going to quit right here. God does right. I want to do right. I want to approach the truth right. I want to, I'm going to stand in defense of the Ten Commandments. Like I say, I know that it's hated. I, I know that a lot of people don't think that the moral law is for us, but I'm convinced that it is. And it's very important that we look at this and learn something else about our God, His nature, the kind of God that He is, His holiness, and what is involved in that. And uh, the other, some laws God gave to the Hebrew people, they're not for us today. But I'm of the old school. I believe before we hear the gospel, which is the good news, we need to first of all hear the law and hear the bad news because the law tells on us. It shows us where we've crossed the line and where we've offended holy God. It shows us what we need to be saved from. And it's not just hell fire, though that's part of it, but it's also the curse of breaking law. The broken law. It is the offense against a holy God. And that's what made David cry out in Psalm 51, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. And I've done this terrible thing. And this is what we need to realize. Do you understand today, do you understand those of you who are truly children of God, that you're still sinners? That's what we are. We're not proud of that and we're not making excuses for that. But we're seeing that we are constantly going to have to watch, be on alert, our own selves about where we presently stand with God. And when I come to this place, I want to come here with it on my mind. God, I want to hear from You about me. I'd like to hear about You. I want to hear about me. And I want to know where I am with You. And I want to face it honestly. And I want to come clean. Get right with God. Because it's very important. Now, people who's not interested in that may be members of church, but they're not saved because saved people have a desire to be holy. And there's nobody's sins that they hate more than they do their own. Thank you, Father, for the Word of God. Thank you for these truths in the Scriptures. I wish I could do them justice. I wish, Lord, that I could preach with such power as our Savior preached. Lord, where people would look at truth and have to make a choice, that they would be pressed to make a choice, either to receive it or reject it. 
and not just be ho-hum about it. We beg You to help us, Father. We want to be Your church in these last days. We want to be the testimony to our generation that the people need. Please help each one of us, Lord, to be so sobered and so serious about You and Your ways and Your works and Your will for our lives. We love and praise You and we thank You in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.